Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Young Bargnard Podcast. After a long and excruciating hiatus, uh, we're back with a brand new campaign and a couple of fresh faces for our session zero. Normally, I would probably have people introduce themselves with a nerd cred on a different kind of episode, but because we're starting off the new campaign with our wonderful, flashy, shiny session zero, uh, I'm going to bring some old college pals in on this one, two of which have never been on the podcast at any point and both probably never even listened to it, which hurts my feelings to some extent. Um, so I guess we'll start off on that note. Hey, Ronnie, um, can you tell us why you hate me and my podcast? I listened to it once. It was a weird experience. And now you're on, on it. And this is a great testimonial. Yeah. Can I quote this and put it as like the beginning to every episode? Sure. All right. So anyway, uh, apart from that, um, I like to have everybody kind of establish their nerd cred to kind of talk about what your interests are as like a game board person who does RPG nerd things. Um, how long you've been playing? What have you been playing? What you've been doing? What are your interests? So the people know a little about you. By the way, your name's Veronica, but I'm going to call you Ronnie. So when everybody's confused why there's no guy here named Ronnie or Ronaldo or Ronald, I suppose... Uh, it, yeah. Okay. So go ahead, Ronnie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've been playing um, Dungeons & Dragons since the beginning of college, thanks to you, Dan, and Anthony. Can I get a fact Anthony check on that? And, what? Can I get a fact check on that? I don't actually believe that. I don't think you... <laughs> Think... You guys started me on that. What was that? First semester at college? That was like, what, five, six years ago now? All right. I plead the fifth. Don't go... Ronnie, were you in that one game where... Uh... Everybody, where Joel's character, uh, I guess I shouldn't. Anthony, you know, if you're going to start off your introduction. I was in the <laughs> well, so anyway, so anyway, there was that char- there was that game that you ran, Dan, with a different group. Wasn't Ronnie in that one and somebody's character drowned to death? No, I was in the one after that. So, Ronnie, can you tell us more about your nerd cred, Anthony? <laughs> we okay. have all the time in the world to derail the actual game. Um, but hold on. <laughs> Just, Ronnie, please, for the love of God. Yeah. So I have been around, I want to say six years, we'll have to fact check this later, but I've been mainly playing Dungeon Dragons as board game. I have dabbled with... <laughs> that like a Russian translation. Did you say I've been playing Dungeon Dragon as board game? <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to get... <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Mine Dungeon Dragon, the board game? <laughs> 
All right, Russian no, listeners. I have, are I have played a little bit of Warhammer, but other than that, it's just been a sprinkle of this kind or that game, but mainly Dungeons and Dragons, either 3.5, fifth edition, and a little bit advanced. Also, for all you all you golden nardies out there who've seen the the artwork for the podcast, uh, oh Ronnie, Ronnie are the dexterous digits behind our illustration. So if you're uh, ever in the market for any of her work, fuck off. Okay, she works privately for me, and she's under my employment, and that is how that works. I know I have no ability to say that, but it's it's all right. Whatever, uh, Anthony. Okay. What, what, Ronnie? What did you did you have anything else you wanted to? Are you plugging no, your go stuff? Ahead, <laughs> no, you're good. All right, whatever. I was giving you the opportunity to plug it, but you know what? Never mind. I take it back, Ronnie. Um, all right, Anthony. It's time for you to introduce yourself with your nerd cred. Feel free to talk about all the stuff, but remember, you're on a, a timer, thirty-seven seconds approximately. Okay, I'll I'll try to keep it quick. Uh, I've been playing D and D consistently for about as long as Ronnie has. Um, Let's see, I've got Advanced 3.5 and 5th Edition under my belt, and I've also been learning like uh, Cyberpunk, Call of Cthulhu, and any other system that just so happens to catch my interest for five seconds, and then I move on to the next thing. You know, I'm almost willing um, to say that between you and I, you have played more systems than I ever have, but I know about more than you do. So it's almost one of those weird trade-offs where it's like every time you play a new system, I know about it, but I've just never actually played it, but you actually get to live it out. So it's one of those weird little situations there. But I also know that you've got quite a lot of interest in literature and fantasy stuff. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, in fifth grade, I read The Hobbit and then never stopped. Yeah, it's like a just, book. I was gonna, <laughs> I'll finish it eventually. <laughs> I was going to say, that felt like the beginning to a really long story. In fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's very simple. I read The Hobbit, never stopped. I, yeah, I know, but expound on that. I mean, are, aren't you in, what was, uh, didn't you get a master's in creative literature, creative writing? I did. Uh, my master's is in uh, popular fiction writing and publishing. And uh, if you would like me to edit for you, I can definitely... Anthony, no, listen. Ronnie could plug it. You're not allowed to plug it, okay? Go finish The Hobbit. But anywho, um, okay, I think I've done enough yelling for the show already. Um, but we've also got, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Ryan and Jared, but uh, Ryan, go ahead. There it is. There it is. Like a, like a dime cat. Um, and then we got Jared, too, which... You don't have a catchphrase noise, so I mean, I guess. As the summer winds down, the Rygru prepares for a long winter of hibernation. You know, it's kind of painful how much that's actually kind of true. I've seen it. I've seen the Taco Bell cave. I know what's up. I have traversed the caverns of the Rygru. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so we're here for uh, session zero, I suppose. Jared, did you want to say anything now that you're back on the show? Did you? I didn't mean to cut you off if you were going to say something. I, yeah, I've been here the whole time. Always on the show. That's true. Yeah. But, okay, so... Go uh, back and listen if you want me and Ryan's intros. <laughs> true. Yeah, right, the nerd there you go. Like 60 episodes ago, 80 episodes Perfect. ago. Perfect. But, um, okay, so yeah, uh, like I said before, after all these little introductions in this uh, canoodling around, uh, we are having our session zero right now, which, to be honest, I feel like my session zeros are usually a little bit more fragmented than an actual hard, like, session zero, because I like to have my hand in the, in the, in the, uh, the cards here about 
how we're making characters and storyline and all that. So uh, as far as being kind of cool to the podcast and getting the listeners a little bit more involved in this, I think it's a little bit nice to get sort of like a impromptu session zero win so that everybody at home can kind of get a, a sense of how we're all putting together our game. Cause I mean, pre- me personally, when it comes to listening to content about D&D, I really love to hear other people's processes and I like to hear kind of how they put their stuff together too. So I like to kind of pull back the sheet a little bit and lower the production value a little to get people to remember like, this is just a group of people playing together. Uh, Some people playing together for the very first time. So I'm sure the chemistry will be sublime. I'm I'm chef kissing all over the place over this, but the uh, campaign itself, um, I'm planning on it being kind of a typical high fantasy sort of beer and pretzels kind of like, crunchy ye old chivalry kind of gameplay my usual old school vibe um but this campaign is called the beckons of the herald of steel which again if that doesn't sound like a failed uh, black sabbath album or something like that some man of war stuff with some dude fighting a dragon on the side of a van i don't know what does um but it, it should be a pretty interesting campaign i'm expecting the length of this to probably run about levels one to six somewhere around there um and I figure we got a lot of house rules to talk about and all of that, but that stuff's boring. Nobody wants to talk about house rules. I think people want to hear about characters. So apart from me blathering on at the speed of a New England light, uh, do people, who wants to jump in and talk about their character? Who's hot and ready jumping and biting at the bit? Okay, not all at once. Slow down. And then the silence. All right. Uh, well, I guess I'll just pick a name Roll out of for a hat. It. Yeah, roll for it. Yeah, let's roll for it. Let's see how this works. Who wants to be the deadly one to, to roll a nice nice 20 on uh, this and have to go first? Yeah, highest initiative goes first, right? Yeah, I think that's how it works. Are we adding initiative to... bonus or just... No, no initiative bonus. You swallow your D6. You wait about eight hours. Well, I fumbled, so... <laughs> I got a two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> on camera. Did anybody get a three? Oh, uh, perhaps the sound of saying, I think, come, I did not get a three, but a 20. Oh, damn. Okay. I got a 17. <laughs> well, Anthony, I guess chomping at the bit is what you do best. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about your character and give us kind of like the, uh, I don't know, vibes are going for with the character, aspirations, things maybe you want to hope to see in the uh, campaign. This is totally not me writing an entire campaign based on what you cuckolds tell me, because I'm like, sitting here like okay anthony wants a magic sword okay yeah wow that's so fitting i have one of those in my game oh my god okay Perfect. Uh, well so i will be playing norhill hammerstone uh a mountain dwarven warrior and um kind of i guess the inspiration behind this character is i wanted to build sort of I, I wanted to build a frontline fighter who was, you know, sort of like, sort of like a field marshal type character, right? Where he is a martial character, able to, you know, do some support, uh, you know, some face, and you know, help lead the party into combat and you know, take point in tactical situations. Fair enough. What's his alignment? He is lawful good. Oh, good. The babysitter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what are the uh, what are the ideals or, or traits, flaws, anything worth mentioning? Uh, so Norhill is you know a very you know straightforward, uh, honest and methodical type of person. Uh, he believes in the concept of one's word, where you know, you sort of get out of life what you put into it. And you know he also believes in you know uh, fighting for worthy causes and 
you know, be, being very choosy in what he does. So in that way, he's sort he's almost like a failed mercenary, where given the choice between somebody who can't pay and someone who can, he'll choose based on you know who seems like the better person and who has the better cause. It kind of reminds me of uh, the movie The Seven Samurai there with the. Uh... I can't remember his name. The uh, the first of the seven samurai who picks up the cause because the villagers have no money to hire samurai to come protect them. And he's just like, I'm no samurai. I'm a ronin. And he like shaves his head in front of them. And they're like, what the hell? And he's just like, I don't want to get paid. He's like, it's all a big scam. It's a big joke. And he's just like, I'll do it because it's the honorable thing to do. But um, let's see. Does he have any particular flaws that you want to mention that I can exploit for later things? Oh, I mean, uh, certainly. Uh, he has a hard time seeing uh, past the end of his own nose. And He's blind. He on something that feels like a good idea, he'll go for it until he sort of runs, you know, smack dab into the stone wall and falls over, trying his solution. That sounds like a Thibbledorf point. Um, I almost made a battle rager. I came this close. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I mean, good old Thibbledorf. Um, Let's see. Uh, do you have any sort of like bigger aspirations, any dreams or goals for this character? Anything that sticks out is like, what would be badass for him to like accomplish as a character? Hmm. Well, let's see. I think that it would be great uh, for him to uh, sort of, you know, uh, live up to his expectations based on backstory that Dan hasn't explained about the campaign yet. Um, all right, all right. I see you, yeah, Anthony. Yeah, because, yeah, becoming you know, uh, you know, a leader of people, you know, uh, the the sort of face of dwarven kind in a troubled world. Fair enough. You and, know, I'm thinking that, and you know, he has family who he is very far away from, and they're out of reach at the moment. So a touching, uh, yeah, a touching, you know, reuniting of family would be great for this character. Good old homeward bound arc there for the uh, little dwarfy dwarf who just wants to go home with a little bombadita in the background. Mm-hmm. Happy trails. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess like Anthony had uh, uh, shadily mentioned to me a second ago, I mean, I guess I could give a little backstory on the campaign just to make characters feel a little bit more grounded here. But for what it's worth, I think your character sort of comfortably didn't need that much background to, to fill in the, the, the spot there of what they're about. Um, but our characters are in the land of Amaroth, and Amaroth is sort of this, it, it's a pretty sizable nation. Um, it's run by a queen, a new queen, uh, Queen Alvir Garavar. Uh, she herself came to power after a very strange turn of events where her parents are both dead. Uh, her father died of a mysterious illness that nobody's totally sure, certain what that was about. And her two older brothers both died in a hunt uh, a couple weeks following that. So she assumed the title of queen in a strange turn of happenstance there. Um, as far as like neighboring nations go, uh, there is a nation of ocean, of uh, uh, like islander states. Uh, it's called Ascabellum. And Ascabellum is, is ruled by... Uh, sort of a, I don't want to say a warrior king, but he's sort of like a common person who's very much so like the na- like the face of his people. Um, but he uh, is now without wife as well, as his wife mysteriously perished from some sort of strange illness as well. And so a lot of the sort of difficulty in this campaign setting comes from the political intrigue that surrounds the idea that 
all of a sudden all these political parties are shifting around because people are just dropping like flies. And all of a sudden now there's this highly politicized wedding that's going to take place. It's sort of married two powerful nations together. Um, and people don't really know how to feel about it. The queen herself is really inept, uh, kind of a kind of adult, I guess, if you could put a word to it. Um, and apart from that, uh, we have orcs to the west from Gorgareth, and they are more like Warcraft orcs than your typical monster Gygaxian-styled orcs. So these are more like they have culture. These people are like people, you know what I mean? Like orc orcs are considered a playable race. Like they're not your typical like ug with a pig snout. Instead, they're just kind of, I mean, they're poor sign. They got kind of a piggy nose going on, but they've got culture. They've got like reasons for why they do it. They don't just have malice in their heart. You see what I'm saying? Um, but problematically so, they also have a lot of pride and feel like they're owed a lot in this world. And for that reason, they do cause quite a lot of issues in Amaroth as they come along over there and do a lot of bad guy stuff here. Um, so apart from the political situation, we're dealing with a lot of orky orcs. Um, but apart from that, uh, you know, we've got all the common staples of like elves, halflings, gnomes and all that. But the big bugaboo that I think really brings, uh, Norhill to a, uh, to a point and makes his character sort of the foundation for this session zero is that the dwarves, uh, who their home is known as the, uh, the, the halls of silver and steel, um, and they themselves have closed their doors and locked everybody out. Uh, it's very mysterious. There's no word getting out. It's almost as if they're under siege. And that means that like dwarven war parties that have been out and like patrolling the area and making sure the place is all clear, they got locked out too. And they haven't heard any word of being let back in. Um, nobody's really certain what that's all about. But as far as things go, all trade to the dwarves is off. So a lot of that metal and a lot of the weapons and gear that people would need for things like warfare are all of a sudden cut off completely, which in some cases is not such a big deal, but for other nations, it's a huge deal. Um, and so your character, Norhill, is, I imagine, part of a roving band of, you know, warriors protecting, you know, the homeland, and they got bumped out and locked out. And you now, like you said, are far from, you know, uh, kin and home and all that stuff. So you are looking for answers, but it's been a few weeks since the doors have opened up. And it seems like you're kind of trying to make do, I guess you could say. That is exactly right. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not good. Um, would you say that you are from Clan Silverstein or Clan Steelband? It makes absolutely no difference, but when it comes time to play the game and I have one other dwarf that you meet and he's just going to be like, motherfucking Silverstein. Because they have like that like like sorority, for, I mean that like fraternity house sort of like the, uh, what's it called? Um, oh, what's that movie called? The uh, college movie there. The um, Animal House. When they have like, you know what I mean? Like they have like the fancy fraternity and then they have like the, the gross fraternity and they're like at ends with each other. That's basically like Silverstein and Steel Band. They're like fraternally linked forever, but they hate each other because there's just this ongoing rivalry of which one's better. So I guess my question is, which one would you say that you belong to? I like the sound of Silverstein. Uh, mm, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, okay. You want me to change my mind, Dan? No, 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 no. If I'm going to run this campaign, I'm going to run every single character too. So I say, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think that that does pretty good for explaining your character uh, to where we are with you. 
Um, could you give me this last bit before we move on to the next person? Could you tell me why it is that your character is like adventuring as, as it were? Like what motivations you have to be doing any of this stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my character is career military. So being, you know, trapped away, uh, trapped away from home and now, <clears throat> excuse me, split off from his squad, he's done the only thing he can do, which is sell his sword as well as he can. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. And so with that in mind, you've gotten word that there's sort of a lot of complications going on closer to the north in a town called Cooperford. Uh, it's a place where apparently adventurers are getting kind of turned away by spoopy ghosts and stuff. Um, but there's a lot of word about a lot of strange happenings and there's a lot of money being offered for whoever can bring back a bunch of missing people and just give up answers. So it would make sense that your character would probably be going out here figuring like this is a dwarf's work and ghosts don't actually exist. So you're like, eh, stupid humans. But ghosts, I can do. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so I guess next would be uh, 17 on the initiative, right? So yep, that's, that's you, Jerry. That's me. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, Jarzak, a orc warlock. Oh, boy. Or oh, clock. boy. Yeah. So naturally, we have our dwarf warrior, cliche as can be, and then we throw in an orc warlock, and we expect that this won't blow up in anybody's face or be problematic. No, you, you said chaotic evil was good, <laughs> Uh, it's, we're in an inverse world. We're being no, chaotically I, evil. Is uh, no, my character is actually uh, going to be chaotic good. Right. L- a little odd for a orc, but as you said, it's a little different than the usual typical orcs. Right. It's, I like to think it plays a little bit too much on the Warcrafty side of things, where like the concept of like heritage and honor and being like true to your essence is more important than like following a law and like abiding by treaties and stuff. Unless you're just Garrosh Hellscream, in which case all bets are off and you're just a dick. Um, Garrosh did nothing wrong. <laughs> all right, uh, that aside, but go ahead, sorry. Okay, but what are your opinions on Sylvanas then? <laughs> Is she still in the clear too? Oh, she, uh, she was fine, but I've only played through the beginning of the second to last expansion. Okay. We're, not, happened, we're right? not doing this. We're not doing this right now. I made one joke as an aside to our hashtag wow fans, and now fans. I said fans. That's a funny word. By the way, happy 2000 for listening, everybody. Um, yikes. Uh, so anyway, Jared, tell us more about your jar, your Jarzak. Uh, so he's about 6'9". 250 pounds. Kind of on the lighter side for uh, Orc. Not as, like, bulky. Uh, 22 years of age. uh, No hair and, like, a gray skin. Okay. With red eyes. So I guess the question that I have for you is how exactly... Oh, by the way, he's also got the little kind of poor sign piggy nose because I'm I'm swinging hard at the Gargaxian fences on that one. Um, we're not going full on squealy, but like it's a little turnt. That knows a turnt. Um, you said it was like the Warcraft orcs. They don't have that in culture. <laughs> <laughs> we're swinging for the Gygaxian nose. I dipped in the Gygaxian nose. Just That's for about the it. just for the nose, the, just a little nose dip. Hell yeah, but only yours. Um, right. <laughs> That but, that's why I'm no longer with my clan. They're like, did you see that guy? He looks like a pig. <laughs> but like a really big pig. You could be a big pig too. Um 
Very good. Ronnie's losing her shit right now, but <laughs> anywho. Um, so I guess the other thing I gotta ask is, is your character comfortable with wearing, I, I mean, you're six foot nine. I don't know how you can hide the fact that you're an orc at this point, but it's one of those things where like orcs are people enough where, I don't know. I know that sounds like a weird statement, but like they're, they're civilized enough and recognized enough as their own entity that like you could meet an orc living in the city who's doing something that's not hazardous or dangerous to people. But at the same time, the common person is going to see an orc and be like, <clears throat> like conspirator or be like, it's a spy or be like, it's an evil guy. You know what They're I mean? coming to pillage. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, so are you going to hide that at all? Or are you just going to walk in and be like, yo, what up? No, nope, not going to hide that at all. Fair enough. Okay. So what's your armor class again before we get this started? Don't look it up. I like the, I like the surprise. Okay, so anyway... Um, so I'm not looking it up? Because I have it right here. It's... 13, isn't it? No, wait, you get armor proficiencies, right? 16. Wait, you got a shield. 18. <laughs> this just kept escalating. You'll find out. You like to be surprised. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh. um, right, Dan, so... don't listen real quick. I, I'm still picking my armor on my character, so it's at 10 right now, guys. So uh, <laughs> don't... <laughs> don't tell him that, though. So let's hear what are what are what's the uh, what's the character story though? What do we got for traits, bonds, flaws, and all that stuff? Shoe size, allergies, phobias. Huh? Shoe size. I don't have that one written down. So I mean, he's six foot nine. He's got to be like 17, 18. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go with eighteen. Got them them clown shoes on. Very good. So anyway, uh, no, but really though, what are what do we got? Some like traits, bonds, flaws, backstory, reasons for adventuring. Give us the scoop. Scoop de doop doop floop de doop. So essentially, his clan is one of those who had challenged the leader and lost, and now they're kind of disgraced from the clans. Yeah, so just to, he went just out. so that we get like a nice firm thing on that because I didn't really give a lot of information on that one. Um, but as far as Gorgareth goes, it's run by a warrior king, uh, and basically anybody at any point in time can challenge the warrior king. But having done it and actually win, everybody respects you for being super badass. But if you fail, you look like total punk, and for that reason, a lot of times if you don't get kind of like I don't know treated like a black sheep for having tried such a thing usually they just leave in disgrace, which probably explains why a lot of orcs are hanging out in this society anyway, which I guess is explaining your character. Yeah, so because the it was a smaller clan and stuff, only a few members, it was just everyone in that clan was disgraced because our strongest warrior lost. So... Did your now, character, like, accept this decision, or does he think it was a dumb idea? Uh, he he did, does not like it at all, because he wasn't the one who fought him and is now trying to get more power in order to fight him and reestablish his clan. You know what? I still think that that's one of the cooler things you can do for a character like this is that like the concept of the warrior King being a bad guy is one thing, but like the idea that he might be an element in this campaign that you guys will have to deal with. But the fact that your character is going to have such an ulterior motive 
that when you go back there to go deal with him, he's going to be expecting like dwarves and humans and all that stuff. And then just an ex friggin orc clan member shows up and he's like, no, 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 this is the challenge. Throws down the gauntlet, be like, everybody stands back because I'm calling you out, motherfucker. And he's just like, oh, well, well, the whelp returns, right? That's a cool vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other players just have no clue that that's about to go down. Right? I mean... (laughs) It, I mean, it's definitely a cool vibe, and it explains that sort of uh, narrow-minded, sort of like tenacious, pig-headed, like one objective in mind, that one track of feeling of, of somebody who's almost like a Kensei sort of feeling, where they're like obsessed with honing their craft, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I guess that'd be kind of his, uh, his bonds are to like his clan, even though it's not that big, he wants to bring honor back to them. By... What's his last name? Does he have a clan title there? No. Nope. Too too small of a clan. No title. I mean, he yeah. had to have one at one point. Do you want to hold on? Do you want to yeah. say? Do you want to say Jarzak doesn't have a clan name because he even disbanded from his clan name for the time? Maybe that's an orc cultural yeah, thing to say. That's definitely why I only have a first name. Right. Yeah. That's that's it. Na- names aren't hard for me, so that's yeah, why. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah, that sounds then... that sounds pretty good, though. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. And that 18 armor class you hinted at. Like, I don't know how you got it. You were the one who said all this, but that was a great idea, so I'll have to roll that up. I'm almost Um, at 18, so. Yeah, right? That's already it. That's canon. I'm pretty sure we got all frontliners, so. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now. That's kind of the case, isn't it? This is just melee squad. We're just (laughs) going to run in and smacking the Christ out of stuff. Slap them. Now I'm glad I took protection. (laughs) Oh, no. All right, well, in that case, this is going to be a campaign of just bridges. Just lots and lots of <laughs> lots bridges. Lots of two, uh, two wide hallways for everybody. Just going to funnel you guys down and just, yeah, just, yeah right, line effects. Um, and I guess technically I also now have a bond to uh, Velikith, the kind of evil god. Yeah, which people don't know about that one so much. But yeah, the uh, evil... I guess this is a nice time to bring up some other part of the campaign. This is kind of coming up organically. I like how this is coming forward. But yeah, basically, the the way that the religion I thought of it for this campaign is to have it be a little bit more like a monotheistic sort of approach to most human-based gods and most of like the major gods in the world are actually just this one concept of a deity that kind of acts as almost like sort of like the thing that started the clock, you know what I mean? As people say it, like the thing that created everything, but he's not holding your hand through it all. So the idea that there's this virtuous path that people walk, um, and this is for the good God, that is. So people who are oftentimes religious will follow that virtuous path, as it were, um, trying to stay close to the light in a dark, dark place and trying to sort of like keep true to those virtuous things that make people the best that they can be. So most people who worship pick things that make sense as sort of like a virtue to live by, whether it be something like bravery or charity or love or, you know, something along those lines. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know (laughs) that power is in (laughs) like competitive eating. Um, Guys, that'd be really great for me. I'm just, I'm so hungry right now. Just get really, really swole. Yeah, yeah just, like, just swole. Bro, bro it's, it's lifting day, it's bulking day. Like, I gotta consume. Worship the iron. <laughs> is that what this is gonna be now? <laughs> Welcome to the Jock Cast. Um, 
But the idea is that uh, the evil god, sort of like the uh, kind of flip side of all this, is indeed known as um, uh, Valaketh, the Tormentor. And Valaketh plays a lot like the guy from the uh, Wheel of Time series there, where he acts as kind of, I mean, I guess a lot like the, you know, Christian devil too, where you got the whole idea of like the the sneaky sort of snake in the grass who tricks people into like taking his side on things and like kind of locking them into a debt that they can't ever hope to repay. But he comes in a lot of time, like a lot of people's dreams where people are sort of their most innocent and in their aspirations and their desires for things to change. And he kind of takes advantage of that vulnerable state. Um, but he takes on many forms and, you know, to a certain extent, he is indeed uh, capable of providing a lot of gifts. Uh, in the case of Jarzak, I mean, he does indeed provide one particular gift, which is the fancy sword, right? Yeah. So as the Hexblade, uh, does this mean that you get to do, like, pick any specific kinds of blade? Or, or is it, like, a specific one for all uses? Or I, Right now, no. But eventually I can just, like, uh, conjure a blade, like, every morning. Okay, so in that case, is there like the one blade you have a pact with, and that's like the gifty blade, or is it? I, uh, I don't think it's just one, but okay. I'm probably gonna play it as just one. I mean, I feel like that makes but sense like, to think that like in a dream one time where you were like so fiercely tormented by the idea of being clanless, like a blade appeared in your dreams, outlined in that white, but it's like perfectly black. And as yeah. you like grasp what? forward in your dreams, you hear the voice saying like, if you reach and you can grab it, like you can have it. Everything is within your grasp if you reach. And you're just like, swole. And you grabbed it and it like came to life in your hands and you like popped out of your dream and you're like, oh shit, I got a sword. Yeah. And now you're like, I must reach. Like I must ever climb. Meanwhile, Valaketh is just like, yes, my child, you will be the greatest. I will redeem myself and my clan. And he's just like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. get killing shit, would you? He's like, go grind for XP. Um, oh, are, oh, are we doing XP? We're not no, doing milestones. No, no, no XP. We're doing milestones. Oh, man. Guys, we can't grind for XP. How are we supposed to rig the system? You know, I think that that's probably the best kind of podcast is when it's just one where people are just grinding yeah, in combat. Uh, it's just combat be, the podcast. We're just going to keep entering the same, like, three different goblin caves and clearing them out. They'll respawn in the first. <laughs> I don't know that that's how that works. Something um, will repopulate that cave. Something will move in. <laughs> uh, did you have a flaw before we go on to the goblin cave itself? No, I'm perfect. Oh, sick. All right. Well, that's good. Glad somebody is. <laughs> I was looking to find them. No flaws? What's the flaw, man? Come on. He's perfect. No flaw. All right, I'll come up with a flaw. You're no, afraid of the sun. There you go. All right, so anyway, <laughs> on to Ryan. All right, what's your flaw? Come on, come up with it. Come up with it right now on the spot. Ooh, ooh, pressure's uh, on. He's probably overly confident, so a little cockiness. That sounds fair. I'll take it. Now you have to write it he's, down. Because I see you not writing this down and us forgetting about it no, no, no. 10 minutes from now. All I have to remember is he's perfect. I'm perfect. I don't... Is that a Brooklyn about? accent? What am I... Is that an accent? What? The, where is there, he from? There was no accent. No, I'm Jazak. I'm perfect. What's up? Like, what, what happened to you? Like He's walking here. <laughs> yeah, right. Can't you see me? It's my Gorgareth accent. <laughs> 
Somehow we always manage to offend some group with some accent that we have to force where it doesn't belong. I'll just do a really intense accent and just be like, yeah, my all my people talk like this. And then you guys go there, nobody <laughs> talks like that. And they're like, was he just lying the whole time? You're just like running in the opposite direction. <laughs> 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 Fucking got him. They look like such idiots right now. That was his actual character arc. Is just tricking everyone he meets. Into thinking that Gorgorithians have a Brooklyn (laughs) accent. There you go. I mean, that's the podcast for you. Um, Okay, and so next, I guess we can go on to uh, the initiative round two with uh, Klika from our our boy Ryan. So why don't you tell us about your character that definitely Uh, has a last name too. No, Klika does not have a last name. Didn't think so. Um, she is a goblin sorcerer with the draconic origin. Um, she's standing about three foot three. Solid. Yeah. Heavy, heavy as a stone at 45 pounds. Uh, she's young compared to most races, but like of age as a goblin at 10. So that's good. Um, she has rusted red skin to sort of match the brass dragon heritage of hers that uh, is almost iridescent at times in the sense, the same way like gasoline pools kind of will catch that rainbow effect. Like she gets a little misty, like someone mists her, then she'll sort of have that kind of shine. She smells like pennies. So it every- smells like rust. <laughs> Just just like if you put your hand in a pile of pennies for like a day and pulled it out, that's what Klika smells like. She that's smells like it. iron and blood. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie, you're off the podcast. I've decided. Yeah, you're off. Your dog's on. Get him up here. <laughs> He's having a, a bad time. All right, well, good. I'm glad that the podcast gets your dog content on here. Every episode, we can have the dog moment. Yeah, dog on. Um, okay, so let's let's hear a little. Uh, actually, I mean, I figure we should also mention that the fact that we have both an orc and a goblin in here, and we have a dwarf and a human. I'm sure this is going to be a nice cultural understanding group. This is, session one is just going to be the bloodbath. We all beat the Christ out of each other, and then session and then zero, part two. <laughs> The recharactering. Um, Intercharacter drama makes a campaign more entertaining. Except when you don't ever do anything except for yell at each other. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you would say that, dirty, dirty goblin. Um, but as far as goblins go, and sort of, uh, I want to make sure that I um, get that goblinish word here correct. But there uh, is this. There you go, Detrika. Um, the way that I kind of set up goblins in this, because I've heard a few people make the argument, and I've always thought goblins and orcs, as long as in this campaign we're going to give them that sense of like more humanoid than monster vibe, um, I think goblins make for a really cool little tie-in. I know people usually say hobgoblins are more fitting. Some people are arguing that they should be a base race, but I think just straight up goblins are pretty neat for this. But uh, in the history of Amaroth, the last big war was the War of the Bleeding Stone, which is just about a century ago. Um, and where there was this terrible cult with a half-dragon leader, uh, and he managed to kind of rile enough people up that the stones, the reason why it's called the War of the Bleeding Stone is because the dwarvish lands where they all kind of like came in through and over, 
the stones began to literally bleed for some reason, like just like the sweat you get down in caves and whatever was just like literally blood and they had no idea what was going on. And then there's just a Lion King-esque stampede over the mountain that just was not a good time for anybody. Uh, a lot of political things happen in this, including gnomes and halflings and all them being kind of treated like betrayers because somehow the dwarvish defenses, which are really solid, were completely like circumnavigated somehow. And so people just kind of naturally assume the gnomes being the neighbor must have had some sort of hand in giving them like a free reign to sneak in. Since the gnomes really didn't get hit that hard, the halflings either in Quarrydale, they didn't get hit hard at all. So people always just kind of assume they had their hands in this and did some sort of dirty work behind it. Uh, that and the wood elves never really helped out at any point either. So Amaroth's a little bit salty about that. But the reason why I bring any of this up is because goblins, on the other hand, actually like stood their ground in this one and like made it a point that they weren't going to have their homes taken either. And so when it came time to like holding the ground, blocking Amaroth from those guys, uh, the goblins helped out a lot. And so for that reason, goblins are kind of revered as being sort of like, I don't know, not, not allies, but like very peaceful little critters that they're like, they do their own thing. We do our own thing. It's a mutual understanding that we'll never perfectly see eye to eye, but there's an understanding of like ancestral, like we're cool. You know what I mean? Um, and the term for the uh, sort of civilized goblins that are accepted are known as the Dedrica, which is known as a firekeeper. Uh, which is kind of a goblin term for being like an ally, this idea that like tending the fire and keeping the place warm and safe from intruders. So the goblins almost in a sense are full of pride over this behavior. So they kind of like revere the fact that they were bold enough to stand up and do their part. So uh, is Kalika uh, one of these Dedrica or is Kalika like an F you, I'm a goblin kind of goblin? Um, so I was trying to think of kind of how to tie in the draconic origin for her, her sorcery. Um, and I was playing around with the idea. I didn't get to talk to you about this because I was having a lot of trouble coming up with a character for this campaign. And I really only settled on this one earlier today and just wasn't able to sit down and chat with you. But I was thinking that uh, she could have gotten her sorceress powers through sort of like um, some sort of experimentation that was going on on like uh probably like intelligent but not like well-respected races uh so i'm oh. thinking she got like probably sold as a baby to some sort of like wizard or a bad group of people and they experimented on like a bunch of different people trying to infuse them with like uh dragon blood or something and that's sort of where her powers come from uh, a lot of the people didn't survive. She was one of the ones who did. And that sort of like changed her appearance and gave her these sort of draconic powers. Um, I'm thinking that her name comes from the fact that like after she survived the experiment, um, she wanted like some of the first stuff she learned to do was like mending and mage hand. And so they sort of just had her help around in the lab as like, not an assistant, but like sort of just would go around and clean up messes and like sort of like grab stuff that they didn't feel like taking care of and all that good stuff. Um, and so they would just call her like cleaner or something like that. And she sort of just misunderstood that and sort of transformed that into Klika. Uh So that's uh -huh. where she gets her name from. 
Um, and then eventually, obviously, something goes terribly wrong with these exper like horrible experiments, and just sort of wiped out the whole wizard group or whatever it was, and she sort of was left there to figure it out on her own. Uh, so that's what she did. She's sort of just been on her own trying to figure out her place in the world since then, since she kind of doesn't look normal as a goblin. She doesn't really uh, probably fit in too well with them. And I think she sort of just has been bouncing around and surviving on her own out there since then. So, um, in that case, why don't we say another cultural tie-in here is we have a, a faction known as the Tome Guard, which act as almost like, I don't want to say like a sort of not militarized force, but they're an arcane force that tries to sort of like keep wizards from doing bad guy stuff and try mm -hmm. to keep like magic kind of protected. So why don't we say that like, as a child, you were rescued by the Tome Guard, like this spooky wizard place got kind of raided by them yeah. and them recognizing you as a goblin and then being from Amaroth were like, oh, a little goblin deserves to live amongst the goblins and like maybe mischaracterizing your skin tone or something like that as being of the Amarothian region. They brought you there and were like, here you go, here's your family. And then you're just like, uh, and maybe we can say that this was before you kind of understood how fucked up your position was. And that's why you had to like come to terms with becoming like a goblin with a capital G all over again. You know what I mean? Right. And so that way you were raised by people who spoke the common tongue and not in goblin standards. And that's why you probably get along more with the Dedrica than like goblin goblins. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, I think um, since like, she never really got like a formal education or anything like that. And it's just like a hodgepodge of picking up like common and goblin. Uh, at one point she picked up a bit of Elvish and gets draconic because of her origin, but I'm sure we can figure something out for that. Yeah. Um, and... I usually take draconic to be the language of magic. So most people that's like the, it's kind of like Latin for the Catholic church where it's just like the universal yeah. tongue that everybody learns for it. Um, but so like she uh, often like will refer to herself in the third person, like she talks about Klika does or says or that kind of stuff. So, um, and oh, um, so yeah, going into like her personality traits and stuff, uh, her alignment is chaotic good um, with her ideals being freedom is the big, big one. Uh, she just sort of really believes that people should be allowed to make their own choices and live their life however they want. Mm -hmm. um, but her actual like personality traits, she's curious, self-righteous, uh, a bit lonely and independent. So sort of just going about and trying to figure things out on her own while also wanting to belong to something bigger, but not quite finding it yet. Uh, the word I'm using that I made up for what she's looking for is Korbach, uh, which is, I, in my mind, and this is one of the things we can talk about, but um, the goblin tongue is a bit simpler in the fact that, like, one word can mean a lot of different things depending on, like, the context. Sure, so kind of like Dedrica. Yeah, so I think Korbach uh, just is the idea of, it's essentially the idea of, like, a family, but also the space that a family is in, like, the safeness that comes from being part of some group larger than yourself and like just belonging somewhere 
So, like, she's kind of looking for, like, a found family or a place where she can, like, belong to something bigger than herself, but also be a part of it and be safe there and stuff. And it also can mean, like, even just something as simple as, like, a safe place to spend the night or, like, an inn or something. So, like, it sort of just has a lot of meaning, but, like, she's looking for, like, the big core box, not, like, a temporary thing. And it would seem that being in the uh, the goblin tribes there with the rest of the Dedrica didn't really give that vibe. And that's probably yeah. why she almost feels like she has to force that sense amongst the goblins because where else would she feel that? And because she doesn't feel it amongst them, it almost like gets exacerbated and like exponentially stronger a feeling of like, if I don't feel at home with my family, quote unquote, then where the hell do I feel the sense of Korbach? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Um, and then, so for her flaws, I have that she won't admit fault or take blame. This is uh, a group of headstrong motherfuckers already. This is going to be so brutal. <laughs> easily distracted and short-sighted and has a poor concept of time. Also, I'm thinking she's going to be completely colorblind. So it's just dark vision all the time. Anything else you want to toss on there? Like, <laughs> but, she has, but she has smidgen, so she can smell and see with her nose. But everything smells like pennies. <laughs> it's like a bad Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> Ooh, pennies. Um, and so I guess the last of the gaggle with uh, actually, so it, sorry, not to not to jump back onto that ship, but so Kalika is questing in search of what just for that sense of belonging, and so she's just kind of wayward, sojourner, sort of like. Yeah, I think because the road is the closest thing to home. She sort of like, I think the, um, what is it? hold on, sorry. Um, the, because it sounds like the Tome Guard. I think the Tome Guard that rescued her, I think they sort of were like a very tight knit unit, like in the way that like professionals would be. Mm-hmm. And so she saw that and just the way they kind of watched each other's backs and took care of each other and all that and wants sort of something like that right now like in her life. Like the camaraderie. Yeah. And so like, she, she yeah. knows that adventuring is a thing and that there's people out there who need help. And she figures she has these sort of like innate powers that she had forced on her. She might as well put them to use and maybe she can – find that somewhere by going through adventures and like said becoming comrades oh little clicker yep. um okay and so with that i guess we move on to the uh the last in our our little group here and that would be ronnie with a one on initiative no foreshadowing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> let's hope not Okay, my character is Anton. He is a human cleric. This is going to get so confusing already because we already have Anthony here. So I'm like, we're going to have Anton and Anthony and one of these is real and one of these is not. And I'm not too sold that Anthony's actually here. I just see him through the internet, so I don't know. I mean, how many times are you going to say Jared and then Jarzak and then realize they're the same person, but you need to talk to one of them? Oh, no. Oh no! Um, fun. So anyway, like, Jared, what what do you do here? And he's like, it's like I don't do anything. I'm not there. Jarzak, <laughs> what do you do here? <laughs> All right. So go ahead. Tell us more about Anton. 
Okay, I guess for description, he is much older in age. He's 53 years old. So Yeah, but what is of, he? He's, he's human. <laughs> Duh, <laughs> like everyone else. Well, wait, my, what do you mean by what is he? He, 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 he missed it the first time. Yeah, oh, I was busy like, thinking about <laughs> other stuff like Anthony. I was making jokes he's about your name choice. <laughs> he's a human cleric. Basically, the way I imagined him was like a younger version of Santa Claus <laughs> before his hair all goes white. Jesus um, Christ, Ronnie. Wait, how old is Santa Claus? Like, just, yeah, wait a minute. That is a good question. Do we have any sort of like Santa canon that we can reference on this one? <laughs> no, also, sir. are we talking like, like St. Nick as in like from the claymation movies there, the stop motion movies? Are we talking like that? <laughs> like that guy? Yeah. Or yeah. Tim Allen, the Santa Claus. I was thinking like claymation, like old school. Oh, okay. So like the red haired and blue eyed and be like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, he's a little more salt and pepper though. Yeah, but he's a... Ooh, a little bit more salt yeah, and pepper little... though. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Not as much ginger. <laughs> but no I salt guess and pepper. Too... We're, yeah. Too... No papriks in this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, to go into personality, he's very optimistic, very joyful. Um, he did spend most of his life in his temple, so he's just used to his small little town, local, knows a lot of people, I've seen a lot of kids come through the temple as orphans, helped in raising them, and is used to that simple, quiet life. From monastic life there, yep. yeah. And I guess just to, I think we could bounce around a bit, but I guess the idea for why he's adventuring is normally he would. He wants to go imagine. take out all those years of anger that he's held back from those little five year olds, and he's just gonna go <laughs> running out there, clocking the shit out of orcs and just being like, fuck you, Jeffrey! And I'll never forget, Cindy, you peed on my lap! <laughs> just bopping them, and they're like, yo, this Anton guy's got problems. He's like, you wanna piece me? Ho, ho, ho! Alright, so no, I, Yeah. <laughs> I imagined him a little more as he was he was comfortable with living in that modest lifestyle, but it came to the point where the surrounding area just became so wrecked with havoc from raids and stuff, he either had the choice of abandoning the temple with the fellow I don't know what you would call them, fellow acolytes, <laughs> to a safer haven or travel with a few others to help protect the land. And he kind of had to make that decision of if he wants to show that he's a charitable and caring person, he should put more action to it. But he is a little bit weary. He's never really wielded a weapon before, so it is definitely something new for him. <laughs> he's like, how do I hold this thing? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of imagined him like when, like when we try to treat, like teach my grandparents now, like technology. It's like the same thing, but he's holding a mason. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. Swinging um, a candle at somebody like grandpa. That's a candle. Like what? Like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, basically. Um, something um, that I think would tie uh, in pretty well for your character, and I think would work, uh, is there's a town in Amaroth, sort of a major town on the on the western coast that is across uh, a big strait that leads to Gorgareth. Uh, it's a major town called Glorywake, and it would make sense that there'd be so many orphans because 
it's a town that works a lot with like naval warfare, keeping the orcs at bay and keeping them from entering and sort of protecting the coastline. So I can imagine there's a lot of sailors who don't come home and a lot of families that can't really keep together for this. So your character would be kind of faced with having to take care of tons and tons of, you know what I mean, children and having yeah. to see them kind of raised into that militaristic lifestyle and recognizing that, you know what I mean? I don't know if that works for you, but I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah, definitely. All right. And so guess, what is, what's the actual cause that you're going for? Charity? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to go a little bit more into traits, like I said, his ideal charity, he finds that he will do anything to help anybody at any kind of cost. Doesn't even think about it twice. He finds just such great joy in like the smile of a child's face or relief in a parent's eyes when they get a toy or a blanket or a loaf of bread. Um, he doesn't really find any value and funny. <laughs> He's the kind of guy who will see it. Not I don't know how to exactly describe it, but if he sees people so wrapped up over money and gold, he's just like. You're no better than dragons, just destroying and wrecking havoc to the land. <laughs> it's like we were given. Damn. Yeah. So he's a little bit like that. Um, Anton Claus is spitting with... straight facts right there. That social <laughs> yeah. commentary. Um, his bonds are pretty, pretty similar. He's, he does everything for the common people. Um, but I found his flaw was the flip side of that coin where he's kind of feels so obligated to help someone in need that he will easily get himself destitute, um, be rid of all the clothing on his back, all the coin, all his food. If he even gets to the point where he has to take something from someone he believes has more than enough, he'll do that to help someone else. Yeah, but listen, <laughs> if, if Anton's not going to help the Nigerian prince, okay, who needs his credit card information, who will help him, Ronnie? Are you are you saying you're communist Santa Claus, Robin Hood? Is that the vibe? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the common good. I guess so. Yeah, like that's that's kind of like the the backside of it because he'll like let's say he sees someone who clearly has like four loaves of bread and he sees someone with one and he oh says, God, it is he can be like, I want to take your bread and yeah, he's well. redistributing the wealth. It's common cause. Ho, ho, ho. This year for Christmas, I got you the means of production. <laughs> Anywho, deep capitalist means. Um, Michael Put, uh, yeah, okay. Um, and then, I guess, I'm trying to think now, his reason for adventuring then makes sense for the action and wanting to actually get out there and make a difference. So, uh, I guess now for just funsies, uh, if you had to pick an actor for your character... Oh, uh, hold on. Did oh, I know. Over, I hit everybody with it. Um, what virtue your character like worships? Charity. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes but, sense. Did, I guess just a question: um, Are there actually gods that he has to follow, or is it more of like just a, the path? I'm the just thinking. Path. It's There's just like so... the the illuminator is known as like the one who carries the torch behind you as you walk the virtuous path. And those who stay close to the light and stay close to their virtues are those who are the most safe and far along the road. But the kind of like the flip side of this is that, and I think Anton kind of is falling a little bit prey to this, is that the closer to you uh, you are to the light, 
the more blinded you are by its brightness. So the more you become charitable, the more it becomes a flaw in its own. That like, you know, you're fearful of the dark. That's why you get close to the light. But when you're so close to the light that you can't see anything except for the brightness, you might as well be in the darkness as well. So the concept of you literally giving everything away to the point that you lose your own life is something to be said about the, you know what I mean, being a bit more moderate about it. So it does feel like there's a bit of a spiritual quest that your character gets to go on here by getting out and being able to kind of learn that modesty with that. But, okay. And he's neutral good, by the way. Not sure if you need to worry about that. Makes sense. Santa knows no bounds of laws or chaos. <laughs> sorry, sorry what, was, what was he? Neutral good. Neutral good? So we've yeah. got lawful good, I mean, unless chaotic he, good. Unless he seems more chaotic. No, no, no. That feels like neutral good makes sense. The yeah. greater good for the sake of good. Like, that sounds like Santa. I mean, he had to get in that chimney, and he sure didn't ask for permission to be in there. Yeah, but so he left got, a gift. Got all three variations of good, and then, uh, Ryan, what was yours? Chaotic good. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So we got a ah. bunch of good guys out here, but the best part, oh, and it's a team of uh, boys with one girl, and we've got Ryan playing the girl and Ronnie playing the guy. Up, up. Well, not even a guy, but Santa, so I mean, I don't know if we're, okay. <laughs> Santa, the communist Santa Claus, Anton yeah. Claus. The man, the myth, the legend, Santa, Santa. Claus. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, so let's nail down some actors. Did anybody have an actor in mind, cartoonishly, even if it was just the voice actor? I mean, Ronnie, yours is pretty clear-cut. It's literally just the guy who did the voice acting for that freaking stop-motion there. You have like, to find a picture of this? But just talking about communism instead. He's just like, we need to seize the means of production. Ho, ho, ho! I <laughs> defy that meme. I got one. Dave Batista. Who's that? That's, uh, he played, uh... On Guardians of the Galaxy, the... The very big bald guy. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That that feels about right. Yeah. Anthony, do you have any dwarves in mind? And that's a hard one. I don't know a lot of actors. Me that's either. Fun. I had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. no, I'll have to go into it, but I don't know. Yeah, I mentioned The Hobbit, but uh, the 1977 animated version, I can definitely imagine it being voiced by the same actor who I think did both Thor and Oakenshield and Gandalf. Fair enough. Is that more like gravelly or more humanized or something? Or yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's definitely more of like a yeah, human accent in a more slow and ponderous way of speaking. Fair enough. That makes sense. Has uh, Kalika got anybody? I think uh, similar. I don't think she really probably looks like anybody, but I think voice-wise, like maybe Cat Dennings, like that kind of higher pitch uh almost just sort of i wouldn't say bubbly but like just not it's just a higher register right? yeah yeah can we get a taste of that with that sound not like? yet <laughs> oh no oh no yeah, as long know, as i can get it, it's a whole week we of dive into it it's a whole week of vocal training <laughs> he's about to endure <laughs> hey ronnie can you do your santa claus impression <laughs> no not yet i haven't ronnie heard. give us your no, santa really? claus Come on, Ronnie, no. you got it. Okay, no, fine. No, I first, I have to, like... You gotta do it for the pod, bro. No, I don't know what that is yet. I have to figure that out. But... What, Santa's voice? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
All right, for anybody who is not able to see through listening to a podcast, we just got the picture of the the Santa Claus before he was Santa with his weird Amish-looking beard here. Thank you, Ronnie, for the visual for us that nobody else can hear. Now, he's do you want to do your got Santa? Bieber esque like haircut, right? Hey, there. He's got the yeah, swoop. I like that. Does does that mean Anton has the swoop? <laughs> I hope so. Does he have a Bieber cut? I thought he would be more like this, but I was thinking uh, more like Santa. It's like Santa, 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 oh. Um, I guess Despacito would probably be more relevant. Sorry, guys. Not Um, sure that's going to go yet. All right. Well, I mean, in that case, I guess we're free and ready to start off with our session one. But I guess the question is now, uh, do you guys, it almost feels like we have some level of we need to address the fact that we have a goblin, an orc, a human, and a dwarf, and somehow we're going to have to make this group work like an oiled machine, would it make sense for us to have everybody as sort of a group before session one? Or does it make sense to meet at this place? Because if we're all just meeting, I think there will be some cultural hesitance that will keep some people at bay from working closely with each other. And I would say Jarzak and Anton are the closest together, just because if Jarzak is coming from Gorgareth and making his way downtown um, to uh, the... <laughs> I'm glad somebody fucking laughed, thank you. Uh, but going to Amaroth, Glory Wake is probably the closest place to get to. So it makes sense that you two would be in the same general location. And, I mean, we could argue that there is maybe some sort of storyline that pops up explaining how Anton is, like, totally welcoming and warm to Jarzak and has no problems and is just like, I don't know, you came to me in peace, I will offer you a place to stay, you know what I mean? Like, that feels like it has an inlet there to, like, make sense of it. I don't know if that sounds like something you'd want to do. I don't know how long Jarzak would have been in the mainland, but... I don't see Anton as the kind of guy, like, he's not going to raise a weapon. He doesn't even know how to use it. (laughs) Exactly. So, I don't don't know. Holding Um, a morning star, the prickly end in his hand. He's out. And let's be honest, he's pretty, he's been in a little temple his whole life. He's pretty global. Very good. I like how the last two characters we got had like eight flaws and they're just like, yeah, I kind of suck. Meanwhile, we have one character's flaw is that they're perfect. So, I mean, you know, it's a spectrum, I suppose. Um, I mean, so does that kind of make sense for you two to be sort of like the beginning two who, I don't know, Anton caught word that there's people who need help and this felt like the first moment to be like, you know what, I will go there and I will go help those people. And Jarzak's just like, this is a test and a chance for me to learn. I will prove myself worthy. And Anton's like, you sure will. He just I believe wants to know you. if his sword can kill ghosts. <laughs> That way you can kill the leader twice. He can kill him once, and then when he's a ghost, kill him again. Just swinging at the air over his body. You're like, what are you doing? Like, his soul's got to go one direction, and I'm <laughs> betting on one of them. <laughs> we must finish this. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, does that fit, though, for, for Anton and Jarzak? I think it yeah. does. Okay. Um, would that be an uneasy relationship, or do you think that that would be one that, like, Anton doesn't let it be uneasy because he's just so welcoming that it's just like literally any of the cultural disparities would be solved by you being like, do you like cheese? <laughs> well, I feel like Anton will be definitely cool and down with it. I feel like it'll be other people at the temple that'll be like looking at him like He's a cool dad. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think Jarzak would have went there to just kind of like 
you know, not sleep outside for once, maybe. And just is like, all right, I got to convince him that I, I'm good to stay here. And just ends up dealing with Anton. It just like gets let in right away. And he's like, it, it worked. He's like, no wonder why it's so easy to invade this place. <laughs> Stab. Um, my, my clan would pillage this place in an instant. <laughs> on second thought, pulls out the blade. <laughs> gets the warhorn out. <laughs> Anton's like, I haven't heard that song in years. <laughs> Anton's like, huh, why are all the rocks bleeding? <laughs> oh, no. oh, dear God, no. Um... Okay, uh, and so I guess now we have to Kalika in and Norhill in. I guess Norhill would be, since he's from the south, I have the map, I'll send it to you guys, and I'll try to find a way to post it so people can see it from the podcast, but um, the lands to the south where the uh, the halls of silver and steel are, they're pretty much the farthest thing away in from Amaroth out of all the stuff in the campaign that we've mentioned. Um, so it makes sense that if you were kind of like, abandoning the hope that came from staying around home or like the pain that being around the home caused you it would make sense you might go to like the center of the land and just kind of like take a stab at whatever you can get closer to the capital of amaroth um so it makes sense that if the party's on the way to cooperford from glory wake that you could just be in one of these little like in between towns or or or, uh inns or or waypoints or something like that and your character could just be also looking for work and maybe catch word of these guys going somewhere. I suppose. Unless you would be, like, heading there on your own all by yourself, and then you just happen to meet them, like, right before the town or something? I don't know. Do you think it would make more sense to know them longer or shorter? Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I like to have a, de- I like to have a decent amount of you know, connection with my fellow player characters, so longer, I think, would work for me. Okay. I mean, maybe you even went to Glory Wake itself, and you're just like, there's combat out here on the shoreline. I've heard word that there's more orcs coming from Gorgareth, and maybe you, I don't know, literally saw Jarzak in the street, and you're just like, an orc! And he's just walking with Anton, and you just had a moment of like, oh, I'm a dick, aren't I? <laughs> and essentially, Anton probably had to get in between and just be like, no, this, yeah. this one's okay. <laughs> But, but then he realized Jarzak has two loaves of bread and Norhill only has one. He's like, wait! <laughs> <laughs> and then the, all of a sudden... I think that, like, given this party makeup, the interesting thing about the way that Norhill would think about orcs and goblins is because, you know, he has to be so concerned with them as, like, worthy adversaries. It sort of, like, brings him full circle around from I absolutely hate every orc and goblin too. Now, hold on, we need to do a threat assessment on these guys. Yeah, it almost seems yeah. like it almost seems like moving out for the first time and having to like see the culture outside your front door, outside of your small town. So being a dwarf and like actually meeting an orc for the longer than the 10 seconds before you bash his brains in, like getting to hear one out and talk about dwar- like orcish culture and be like, I don't know, it might be sort of like a moment for Norhill to get perspective on being a dwarf that he wouldn't have had if he just stayed amongst dwarves. So if he's open-minded enough and welcoming to like companions of all, you know what I mean? Walks of life who respect a good combat and good skill. I mean, Jarzak's obsessed with being the best he can in combat. So I imagine Norhill would probably see that and respect it if they spent more than 10 yeah, minutes together. Yeah, very but... much so, especially since he values being part of a team so much. Okay. So now the question is, where the hell does Klika come into all of this? Klika was here the whole time. 
Popped out. Yeah. <laughs> I was the second loaf of bread. Yeah, been here for weeks. And then Cleco pulls out the little horn. Jarzak points up to his shoulder. I scooped this one a while ago. <laughs> Very good. So, okay. So, but for realsies, I guess. I mean, even if like she sort of like after she left the um, Dredica, is that what it is? Um, yeah. Uh, after she sort of like moved away from them, if she sort of. That's, I mean, if anything, that's more of like a cultural title for like, I don't want to say. Well, good yeah, goblins, I, I, but I like... guess like, but like the Tone Guard had to have dropped her off somewhere. And I think she sort of just retraced steps back to finding like a Tone Guard mm-hmm. headquarters or something. And maybe just. I think like, Glory Wake would definitely have one of those. Or, or just like got there and was like, hey, I want to do good like you guys do where should i start and they sort of pointed her like half like just like to get her out of their hair because like she was just sort of everywhere all of a sudden now that she knew where they were um and they were like well there's some stories about ghosts in coopersville or coopers what is it preferred Cooperford, yeah. There's stories of ghosts in Cooperford, and Cleek is just like, yeah, all right, nice. I'm gonna go save some people from ghosts or save ghosts. I'm not really sure. I'll work it out on the way. <laughs> They're just like, God, I thought you would never leave. Meanwhile, yeah. Anton's like, hello, little friend. Would you like some bread? Like, so I think hello. that could explain sort of how she found her way there. If she met up with any of them on the way, that could happen too. I'm I think Anton, Anton would probably be the shepherd to this flock and pulling everybody in. Yeah. So Norhill's the bossy one, Anton's the warm one, Kleeka's the kooky one, and Jarzak's the moody and brooding one. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> Nobody understands. Just smoking cloves out by the campfire. Like, he's so badass. And just puts it out on his tongue. Yeah. Like... Ooh. That's right. I'm awesome. I heard he talks to the <laughs> the evil god, and then Anton's like, <gasps> <laughs> I, that should just be Anton's response to literally anything. Just <gasps> just that, uh, you know, the Pikachu meme with the open like <gasps> face. <laughs> just that to so many things where it just like, oh wow, who could have seen this coming? Like, <laughs> 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 well, for initiative. <gasps> um, <laughs> But yeah, and so with that, uh, I suppose the uh, only thing to do now that would make sense is to say the party is well on the road uh, from Glory Wake to Cooperford and walking as a group. Um, it's probably late summer into fall, kind of around this time of year. I like to do that. Um, and so leaves are going to start falling from the trees very soon as you guys are heading through uh, much of the thicker forests on the uh, following it like a river's path north from Glory Wake to Cooperford. And I would say it's probably been about three, four, five days on the way there before you start reaching the sort of the hamlets outside of Cooperford. Cooperford itself is well known for being like uh, a, a very well-established town right on a ford of a major river that kind of unites all of Amaroth. And obviously it's known for its major cooperages, which is, you know, where you make barrels and the barrels are where they kind of load up everything that they trade around here. So it's a very important place. But as you guys are coming by the hamlets and everything on the outskirts, uh, and as night falls, about 
three hours away from the actual Cooperford proper. Um, I'm going to need the entire party now on the wooded path entering spooky Cooperford to roll a perception check. Peep and die. I got one better than my last roll. Three. Kalika just smells pennies. Fifteen? Nope. Sixteen. Nope. One second, guys, mate. Ronnie, did you eat your dice again? No, no, it was my computer. She redistributed them, excuse (laughs) you. It was a, Dan, it was a a perception check, right? Yes, I am. What did you get, 15? Yeah. Okay, so Kalika is overwhelmed by the smell of pennies and is is skipping along all kinds of lackadaisical under the uh, night sky that's quickly oncoming uh, starlight is starting to pierce through the purple sky as the sun begins to set over the uh, the, the hills to the west there. Um, and as the party is following what seems to be a more settled road as it starts to go from dirt path to the occasional cobble strip, um, you guys can hear something. Everybody, the 15, the 16, the 15, so basically everybody but Kalika can hear the sounds of some strange like snapping of like tendons and, and meat in the distance. This like strange like as if something got peeled off of something. And it's a very unsettling sound. And the only thing more unsettling than that is once you guys all kind of stop and hear that one loud snap noise, you guys are overwhelmed for a moment as you stop to like take it all in. You guys smell the smell of like something absolutely putrid and rotten in the distance. And it smells like it's coming from the bushes up and to the left about 25, 30 feet away. And as everybody stops, Klika notices this sound as well and the overwhelming odor for once that it's not pennies. What a refreshing change of pace. So the party stops dead and they're like, it's this is session zero. Shut up, Dan. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not supposed to do anything yet. <laughs> oh, oh, but we're doing something. Uh, so with that, uh, Jarzak's just going to look to the group and, oh, the sounds of my brother ripping flesh from the bone and the smell of the aftermath. Oh. That's your brother in there? <laughs> Uh, hearing that, Klika is going to shout out, yeah, yeah, hello, Jarzak's brother? No, 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 I'm saying it sounds like when he eats flesh. As you guys are having an argument about it, like, no, no, it's not, it's not my brother, it's when he, (laughs) so as, as you guys hear the snapping noise stop, you hear the sound of, like, creaking bone, and the sound of, like, snapping joints, and all of a sudden, from the bushes, you see a shaking and a rustling for just a moment as something slowly is starting to protrude through. And all of a sudden, at the last second, coming peeking through, uh, this pale and grotesque, worm-ridden and red-faced with gore and green with mold and rot, you see what looks to be the remnants of a goat's head as some sort of zombified goat peeks through the bushes and looks towards you guys and goes, Eah! as it starts to move forward with flesh falling from its open fanged mouth. And that's how we're going to end session zero. Zombie oh, looks like Looks like my brother too. <laughs> I don't know what I would call my god, but I feel like Anton would just be like, what on earth is that? And just get his shield at the ready. Like, 
oh my goodness, that is something unholy. That's where we're going to end it. Unholy is one way to say it. I I would think the rotten zombie goat might be something that would make reason for pause, I think. Yeah. All right, well, that's it. Goodbye. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks. <laughs>